Hi, so good to be here. We're going to be in Hebrews 12 this morning. Uh, Before we jump into the message today, I just wanted to say that as I've prepared for this morning, I just really sense that God has a prophetic word for our community. I really sense that God has something really specific. I sense that some of you have come in here today, and what I'm going to say from the stage this morning is going to bring insight, and it's going to bring light into situations and circumstances that you've been wrestling with. So we're just going to go ahead and read the scripture, and we're going to open in prayer, but I want to encourage you to position your hearts that this isn't just any sermon that I gave two years ago that I'm redoing and rehashing. This is what I feel like God is speaking into our community today, now, for each one of us. So go ahead and open up Hebrews 12. We've got three verses, starting at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into the space this morning. God, we love you. We want what you want for our lives. Lord, we want to yield ourselves to you this morning. And Lord, we refuse to yield to the narrative of the world. Lord, we refuse to yield to fear and to hopelessness and to insecurity and to accusations of the enemy. God, we refuse to yield to those things, but we yield to you this morning. And we ask that you would come, Jesus, and you would do in our hearts what only you can do, God. We need you to break through. We need you to bring change. God, there are some of us that are here this morning, and we're weary, and we're tired, and we're barely hanging on by a thread, and we need to meet with you. And I'm so glad, Jesus, that when we come here on Sundays, Lord, you just don't think, well, I got nothing for you today. Come back next week. But Jesus, you always show up in new and fresh and surprising ways in our life. And so we want this morning what you have for us, Lord. Open our hearts to you. Make us ready in Jesus' name. Amen. I was recently reading an article in a health magazine, and it was titled, The Tired Generation, Four Reasons Millennials Are So Tired. It unpacked, you guys are sniggering because you don't need an article to tell you that, right? It unpacked a few different reasons why many of us who identify as millennials are so tired. It talked about how tech is intruding into our lives in many ways and affecting our bodies and our brain. Talked about the hustle culture that so many of us kind of swim in those kind of rivers, work harder, do more, hustle a little bit. Talked about the stress levels that so many of us are dealing with. If you do a quick Google search, you'll find so many articles about this generation and how exhausted we are, and so many different reasons why. In fact, it's quite tiring to even just be alive right now, isn't it? In the world the way that it is, in our nation the way that it is, some of the things that we are struggling with and have been waiting for and praying for and asking God for, it can be quite tiring just to be alive. And then many of us, we live here in San Francisco, and San Francisco is an exhausting city to live in. There's the constant pressure to innovate and be new and different and stand out. Our favorite restaurants keep closing and leaving. (laughs) People come into our lives and then they leave. And we watch friendships disappear and we watch people in our community go and it's heart-wrenching and it's exhausting. And if you're part of our community here at Reality San Francisco, you know that we have been going through some intense sermon series this year. We have been doing some deep work in our lives. And here we are on the last Sunday 
of singleness in the kingdom of God. And if you're single here this morning, you might be kind of caught between two thoughts today. You might be thinking, well, maybe she's got something new to say on this. And can we just stop talking about my relationship status? You're somewhere (laughs) caught in the middle there. Because the dating world can be exhausting. I went to the dating forum on Monday and I listened to a lot of you in our community talk about what it's like to date. And there was a cool little thing they did where we could enter words of how we feel about dating. And one of the biggest ones across the front was exhausted. Everyone's exhausted by dating. And even the things that are supposed to help us, like dating apps, they're tiring us out as well. There's an article that I read, it was called The Rise of Dating App Fatigue. And this is a quote. The easiest way to meet people turns out to be a really labor-intensive and uncertain way of getting relationships. While the possibilities seem exciting at first, the effort, attention, patience, and resilience it requires can leave people frustrated and exhausted. So even the very thing that's been designed to supposedly help our lives is now tiring us out as well. We're all exhausted, we're tired, we're weary. And I don't think many of you need me to tell you that this morning because you might have felt it when you walked in here today. See, we've been doing hard work. Some of us have been in therapy, dealing with family of origin. We've been having difficult conversations. We've been going to lectures and wrestling with deep things and asking questions and it can be tiring. That makes us not unlike the people that the book of Hebrews was written for. We don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews, it's not clear, and we don't know a ton about the audience of who it was written for, but we do know something about them. They were tired, they were exhausted, they were facing persecution, and if you read through the whole book, you'll see that it's mentioned, the author mentions it again and again. They're kind of at their last thread. Some of them are even thinking of just giving up, walking away from faith, just they're so tired, they're so exhausted. They feel hopeless. And the author writes to them here in chapter 12, and his response to that exhaustion and that weariness and that sense of giving up is to say, get up and run. That's frustrating, isn't it? When you're like, I am, I'm weary, I'm tired. The last thing you want is someone to come into your life and be like, come on, get up, you can do this, keep going. We just want to chill out, we want to kick back, we just like, we want to break. We want to step away from it. But the author here of Hebrews, he's like, no, no, there's a way to run. There's a way to run, it's not a hustle, and it's just not pushing through the emotion. There's a way for you to run, and you'll be able to sustain it but you've got to run in the right way. It feels almost counterintuitive when we're tired, but this morning what I want to do is I want to just unpack some of the direction from the author of Hebrews and say, okay, how do we run? How do we do this? He opens up in verse one and he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he opens up this chapter by pointing back to the one previously. Back to chapter 11, he says, therefore, well, what happened before? So we have to jump back to chapter 11, and this is the famous faith chapter in the Bible. This is the hall of fame. This is the patriarchs and the matriarchs and all the people that have gone before us that have lived a life of faith. And he's like, look back at them. Look back at Abraham and Sarah, who believed God for the promise of a baby, even though she was old and barren and everything that had happened before didn't look like she was going to have a baby. Look back there. Look back at Joseph. Look back at Joseph had dreams of leadership and found himself sitting in a jail. Look back at his faith. Look back at Rahab. Who would have chosen a prostitute to save the people of God? Look back at those people because they're people of faith. And how does he define faith? Hebrews 11, 1 to 3. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. 
You see, the author is writing to his audience and they're struggling and they're persecuted and they're weary and they're tired. And he's like, let me start by drawing your attention backwards. Let me start by reminding you of these people of faith. They were just like you. They weren't perfect. They second-guessed. They wondered if they were crazy. They wondered if the promise they'd received was actually from God. They wondered if they thought, Am I, did I miss him? Was, uh, was this for a different season of my life? I thought you said this, God, but I don't see it. Joseph sitting in a jail. Can you imagine hours upon hours wondering, okay, I had these dreams, but God, I don't see them in my circumstances. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to live by faith? It's hard when we don't see what God is doing. But I have found in my life that it's even harder to live by faith when what we see is the exact opposite of what we felt God had said. I mean, it's one thing to be a neutral, right? Just be waiting on God. That's hard. That's hard. But what about the very promise that God has given you for your life? The very thing that you're holding on to? What about every other circumstance in your life says something different? What about if you look around and it's like, God, I thought you said this was my season. This is my breakthrough season and I feel like I'm just going backwards. What about when we feel like God says, this is your time to rise up in leadership. This is the calling on your life. I'm going to open doors for you. And then it just feels like setback after setback after setback. See, it's hard to live by faith when we can't see. But I think it's harder to live by faith when everything we see feels contrary to God's word. I feel like this is a word for some of you in this space today, that you're in a season where you feel like everything you see questions what God has spoken to you. Every circumstance of your life, your bank account, your job situation, your relationship status, all of these things say one thing. And I feel this morning an invitation for us to look back at the patriarchs and the matriarchs and say, you know what, they felt that same craziness. They second guess. They're wondering, did God really say there would be a breakthrough? I feel alone. I feel unsupported. I feel like no one sees me. No one recognizes what I've got to bring. No one's buying into my vision. They felt like that too. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look back. Look back. You are not alone. And you are not designed to run alone. It says you're designed to run you're designed to run, but you can't do it by yourself. I love this image of this great cloud of witnesses. I love this idea that he calls our attention. It's almost like the supernatural realm of all these voices declaring with their lives, I know it looks crazy. I know it looks impossible. I know everything in your life says something different, but we're cheering your name. We're championing you. We're this like spiritual realm, this host around you. It's almost like this vision of a stadium. And we are chanting and we were saying, hang in there. That was our story too. I know it looks impossible. You see, some of us in the space despite being part of this large community, feel incredibly alone. We feel like nobody quite gets us. Nobody quite gets into the, the things of our life and, and knows what we really care about. Nobody sees how many setbacks we've had or disappointments. And we can feel very alone. But what I think the writer is telling us is there's this great cloud of witnesses you see, the truth is the level of support and encouragement you see right now are not an accurate measure of who you have on your team. See, the people that you think you have in your life, you're like, this is all I got. I've got that best, best friend on the East Coast and my mom. My, my mom always encourages me. Like, you know, I've got one person in CG. Like, I, I feel like this is my team. And what the author is saying is, oh no, there's something going on in the heavenlies over your life. There's a whole crowd of people that went before you that are cheering your name. There is something supernatural going on. You see, what you see is never all there is. What you see happening in your life in all these different places, that's never all that's going on. The community that you think you have, there's more. And we need to be reminded of this. This week, I mean, I opened Hebrews 11 and read it and reminded myself 
Ruthie, that thing that you've been waiting on, that promise that feels like it's never going to come, I was just like Abraham. I was just like Rahab. It was just like Joseph. And began to tell myself those stories. But you know what? We need other people to tell us those stories too. We're in this year of authentic community. We're like 10 months in. And, and some of us are like, we're done. We're talking about community. We get it. We need one another. We need friends. We need people that love us. We get it. But here's the thing. This is what I've noticed. Is the enemy loves to contradict what God is doing in our life. So you think you're in this season, this year of authentic community. And we've got it. We're good. But the enemy's looking at us and saying, you think you have a community? I'm going to rip this thing to shreds. I'll show you who you really have. Nobody. I'll take that relationship that you thought was going to last and I'll pull it apart. I'll disappoint you. I'll make sure people lie to you and they let you down so that you walk out of this year of authentic community and say, I'm done. I tried it. It didn't work. That's the strategy of the enemy. So we have to keep coming back to this. And I think the author of Hebrews knew this. You're not alone. Look at those people. But look around us. We are a community and we have to find the people that will run with us. We have to find the people that will see us running our race. And they'll come alongside us and they'll say, I'm going to join with the host of heaven over your life. I'm going to cheer you on. I'm going to champion you. And listen, not everybody can run with you. Some of you need to hear this. Not everyone's going to get you. Not everyone's going to get the vision on your heart. Not everyone's going to buy in and be that person. But you just need a few. Amen. You just need a few people that you can text late at night when you think, am I crazy? Did God really say this? You can come to church and say, I've had one of those weeks where I feel like Everything was opposite to what God's saying. And those people will say, I see you. I see the call of God on your life. I stand with you with the host of heaven and I cheer you on. See, not everyone can run with you. Not everyone you can date, you should date. See, well, he's a Christian. He loves Jesus. Can he run with you? Well, she's hot and she loves Jesus. Can she run with you? Well, I don't know. I mean, they, it seems like a lot of fun. It's been great so far. But can they run with you? Do they see the vision in your life? Do they know how God has anointed you? I wasn't going to share the story, but I'm going to share it. Um, before I married my husband, I lived in San Francisco for seven years as a single woman in full-time leadership. And I dated a guy. And um, we met in San Francisco, and he moved long distance, and we talked a lot on the phone. And, you know, I've always been fairly prophetic in how I kind of see the world, and I have a lot of dreams and visions. It's just kind of how God's wired me. And I remember one day talking to him on the phone, and I was telling him about this dream that God had given me. And he listened, and then he said this, Oh, Ruthie, you and your dreams... I didn't marry that man. <laughs> I didn't marry him because he couldn't run with me. He's a great guy. He's fun. He loved Jesus. But he didn't see the anointing on my life. He didn't see the call on me. Look, there are some of you here that are dating. And just because he or she say they're a Christian doesn't mean they can run with you. Look who can run with you. Look who's running their race. Look who's doing their thing. And they come alongside you and you say, man, I see you running your race. I kind of like that. And they say, I see you running your race. I kind of like that. Because those are the people that we want in our lives. What kind of friendships do you have? What kind of people do you have in your life speaking truth? Look, I don't have time for toxic people in my life. I don't have time for negativity. There's too much of that in the world right now. If you want to bring more negativity to my life, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, you can't have access to me. Look, we need friends in our life that are going to say, I see that thing and I believe it. When we're like crawling on the floor and we're feeling like God's abandoned us, they pick us up and they say, I will be your friend. That's the kind of friendship Melissa was talking about a couple of weeks ago. What kind of friends do we have? What kind of friends are we? This is who we need in our life. 
What kind of marriage partners are we? Are we joining with the host of heaven over the lives of our partners? Are we cheering them on? Are we championing them? See, we cannot run this race alone. Look, we have a couple of retreats coming up in a few weeks. We have the men's retreat and the women's retreat. Okay, I'm just going to be really frank right now. Don't tell me you don't have community if you're not willing to come to a retreat. Okay, I know some of you can't make it for legit reasons. But here's the thing. If you want people to run with you, if you want to know the people in this community that get you, that can do the race with you, then come to these kind of things. Come invest, be that person for somebody else, and find the people that can run with you. Take heart, Reality San Francisco, you are not alone. There is a supernatural community of witnesses that are cheering you on, and some of you are gonna find yourselves in situations. You're gonna find yourself in job interviews, you're gonna find yourself on dates, you're going to find yourself in circumstances where you are literally going to have to sit there and recite Hebrews 11. Abraham, okay, Joseph, okay, Rahab, okay, Gideon, okay, Joshua. We're just going to have to enter into that space. I'm not alone. They're literally speaking over my life right now, calling me forward into my destiny. We need to run together. Number two is that we need to run light. Verse 2 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. What I love about this verse is it doesn't just say don't sin. It says throw off anything that hinders you. A hindrance is anything that interrupts your run, anything that slows you down, anything that affects your pace or trips you up. And one of the greatest hindrances in our life is our own plan and our own timeline. It's the life that we thought we would have by now. Some of us are haunted by the fact that we've got to this age and we don't have. We've got to this season of life and we're not there yet. I thought I'd be married by this age. I thought I'd have kids by this age. I thought I'd be further along in my career. I thought I'd have more healing by this point. I thought this is what my life would look like. And it's hindering us and it's tripping us and it's holding us back. It's a life we thought we'd have. We need to stop worshiping the idol of what we thought we'd have. We need to stop worshiping and bowing down to the idol of, but I thought this was gonna be my life and I'm running against that timeline. Listen, some of us are exhausted and weary because we're running against a timeline that isn't even from God for our lives. We're so tired, we're running against this thing. When I get to 30, when I get to 40, when I get to 50, check, 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 check. And we're so tired because the idol is running our life. Some of us, the timeline needs to be laid down. For some of us, it's the idol of what other people want for our lives. Well, my parents want me to do this. Well, my family said that this is the way that it's got to be. And the idols are pushing our lives and we're exhausted. Listen, some of you need to lay down the idol of I need to make this much money before I'm going to date and before I'm going to marry. I need to be this far along. I need to offer this much security. Look, there's nothing wrong with earning money, getting a place to live, all of those things. But if that is the idol, if that is the thing that is dictating your choices and not the voice of Jesus, then we need to check ourselves this morning. We're exhausted by the idols. What about our college friends? Oh, you're you're still working that job. Oh, I thought you kind of would have climbed the ladder. Oh, you're still single? Okay, cool. (laughs) Are you coming to the Christmas party? Who you bring? Oh, you're coming by yourself. Got it. You see, sometimes it's the voice of other people and their idols. And then we look over and we think, I gotta bow down to your idol too. I've got my own timeline idol, but you've got a timeline idol for my life too. I'm just bowing down everywhere here. I'm so tired of bowing down to the idols. We won't yield to the narrative of culture. You see, what happens is when we don't deal with the timeline plan thing, 
is we begin to take God hostage. We say, well, God, I thought I would be married or I'd have this career or I'd be at a certain place by now, so here's the thing, I have a few demands. When you do that, I'll do this. When you give me that thing, I'll give you my life. When you give me this thing that I thought you promised me like two decades ago, when you do that for me, I'll step into that place of leadership. I'll say yes to that thing. I'll be bold and do this. I'll lay down my life and say everything is yours. When you do your thing, when you hold up your end of the bargain, and we begin to make these demands of God because we're driven by the timeline, we're driven by the plan. See, sometimes it's that 15th wedding we've been to. We just sat there and we say, okay, God, I'm done. I'm done with this. When you come through, I'll, I'll step it up. When we hit that certain age and we think, okay, Jesus, you have failed me. So when you get your act together, I'll get my act together. We begin to negotiate with God. We hold back our lives. We hold back our gifts. We hold back our leadership. We decide we're not running that race right now, but what we don't realize is the only person we're taking captive is ourselves. We're taking ourselves captive. Some of us are frustrated and tired because we are holding God hostage. We are holding these demands. There was a word given in pre-service prayer this morning that some of us in this space are resisting God. We're like, I come to church every Sunday, and I go to CG, and I even read my Bible. I mean, I'm doing this Christian life thing. But underneath it all, there's this resistance. We're driven by the timeline, by the plan, by the life we thought we should have had by now. And I believe the invitation this morning is, will you lay that down? Will you lay down the idol? I feel really strongly that some of you, the idols of other people, are pressuring you. There are some of you in this space that are literally just running, almost looking sideways. What does my mom think? What does my dad think? What do my college friends think? What do my coworkers think? We're just looking over here, and we're going to have to lay that down if we want to step into the fullness of what God has for us. Listen, God is too good to let us dictate our life. He's just too good. He's not going to give in to the demands because he's got something better. It's like a child asking for dirt. Mommy, give me that pile of dirt, but I have a whole bunch of chocolate. I don't want your chocolate. I want the dirt. And God's like, I'm not going to give you the dirt because I have something so much better. He is too good to bend to our will. Psalm 23 says that goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. I like to read that verse. Goodness and mercy will chase us every day of our lives. It will chase you down, the goodness of God. But we're over here digging in the dirt thinking, this is so good. And God's just like, let me chase you with what's really good. You see, some of us don't even know what good is. I was driving recently. I just came off of like a month-long sabbatical. I've been in San Francisco in full-time ministry for, for 20 years, and I've kind of been in the space where I've just been doing a lot of reflection. And I was driving, and I was reflecting on something that's happening in our family recently, and I was overwhelmed, like almost to the point of needing to pull over because I felt tears, and it was just like overwhelmed. As I reflected on every time I said yes to God, I didn't regret one of them. I mean, I'm talking about two decades of my life, looking back, seeing steps of faith, weird choices, pushing myself out there. And I'm like, God, I don't regret anything. God, you're so good. I, like, I feel like every time I've said yes to your nudging and yielded to your will, it's been so good. The only things I regret are the times I didn't. Things I regret were the times I didn't take that step of faith. And I didn't push it out there and I wasn't willing God, you've been so good. And in 20 years, I think I'm going to have the same story. I think I'm going to have 40 years and then hopefully 60 years to just look back on and say, every time you have stepped into my life, God, and pushed me into something I felt I couldn't do or I couldn't wrestle with or I couldn't heal from, every time you've been so good. 
See, the goodness of God chases us down, and we can trust him. See, I believe as a church, God is maturing us, and he's growing us right now. We have been wrestling this year, and God is a new season. God has a new season, and it's not dependent on what you see in your life right now. I want you to disregard every circumstance and everything that is contrary to what God has spoken. We don't live by sight, we live by faith. We're entering into a new season, I think, as a community and as individuals. And you know, it's so funny how it's almost like when you're on that point of change, that, that season shift where God's bringing breakthrough, the enemy just comes in even stronger to say it's not going to happen. In fact, when the enemy gets loud, I like to get excited because I feel like something's about to shift. Something is about to shift in our community. And I sense that. But here's the problem. We keep bringing our old selves to the new thing. We keep bringing our old selves to the new thing. Our old demands, our old timeline, our old list, our old plan, our old behaviors, our old ways of dating, our old ways of perceiving, our old ways of spiraling, our old ways of surviving, all the things that we've done up until this point, we think, I'll just bring them with me. And God's like, no, I've got a new season, and that means there's a new person and a new way of doing things. And we're going to have to let go of some of those things. Listen, I feel like some of us are weary and exhausted because God is trying to usher us into a new season, and we're dragging all the old stuff with us. There are some things that we need to cut off. The way that we see ourselves. Listen, some of you are on this breakthrough where God wants to just just propel you into leadership, into anointing, into like doing things that have always been on your heart, but you are going to have to leave behind the little, small, insecure, I'm not good enough, I don't know kind of stuff. You're going to have to leave that behind. You're going to have to cut it off and say, I can't take that with me. I can't take that with me because if I take that into the new season, I'm going to burn. I'm going to crash and burn. That, that thing can't sustain this. This is too big. This is too good. This is so much more. What I need is a new person. The old ways of dating, I, I can't bring those with me. Actually, what I need to do is I need to go to the Father and I say, God, how do you want me to date? How do I need to shift away from some of the things I've always done? What do you have for me in this new season? The old timeline, the old plan, the old behaviors, they're not going to work anymore. I'm not even just talking about sin. I'm talking about just the rhythms of life. The way that you rest is not going to cut it in this new season. The way that you spend time with God is not going to cut it in this new season. It's fresh. It's new. There's breakthrough and there's some things we have to leave behind. There's some things that are hindering us that we have to let go of. There's some healing that God needs to do. There's some pain that we can't take with us. It doesn't mean we won't experience pain in the next season. Sure, we're human, but there's some old pain in this room. There's some old relationships that we just really, for the last time, need to let go of. It's almost like the voice of those old things is competing with the voice of the matriarchs and the patriarchs. And they're calling us forward. And we're going, well, I still want to listen to that old voice. I still want to listen to that old, that, that guy that said that thing, that girl that broke my heart. I'm still listening to those voices, and some of us need to leave that stuff behind. I sense there are some marriages in this room, and there are old wounds. There are old frustrations. There are things that are even just bitterness. And there's a place where the Holy Spirit is just saying, if you guys want to go as a couple into the new thing, we've got to sort out this thing. We've got to heal that pain. But I sense God saying, take heart, you're not who you used to be. You're stronger, you're more faith-filled. You don't need that old stuff anymore. There's a new you that is about to emerge. 
if we can let that stuff go, the stuff that's hindering us? What old thing are you bringing with you? What are you trying to shove in your suitcase and say, I just need, I just need to hold on to this thing, Jesus? Because he is too good to let you bring that into the new season. Number three is we need to run relentless. It says, let us run with perseverance, the road marked out for us. We are designed to run. I know that some of us in this room, we feel like we're more of a plodder. We feel like we're more, we just slowly kind of creep cautiously. Some of us are more like, I just kind of Instagram everybody else running. I just kind of capture it and I talk about it online. I'm not so much of a runner. But we are designed to run. You might not feel like you can run. You might not feel like you have the capacity to keep moving forward, but you are literally designed to do this. If you are a follower of Jesus in this room, you have what you need. This is what I tell my children all the time. Whatever they're facing, tests at school, difficulties, one of my favorite things to say to them is you have everything you need. You have the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need. So every challenge you face, you feel, I can't do it. It's too much, I don't have capacity. The Holy Spirit wants to whisper to us, you're designed for this. You're designed to run relentlessly, to run with perseverance. That word perseverance here means steady continuance in one direction, despite setbacks, obstacles, or discouragement. Listen, some of us here are waiting to accelerate. We're just kind of slowly, or we might even be totally checked out and just kind of chilling on the sidelines. But we are designed to continuously run, but some of us are waiting. I married my husband about 13 years ago, and when I walked down the aisle, I did not hear heaven breathe a sigh of relief and say, thank God she's finally married. <laughs> I didn't feel a wave of a release of purpose, and potential. I didn't hear the angels erupt with, oh my gosh, now we can release all these resources over her life. I didn't hear that. When the ring slid on my finger, it wasn't like this just whole eruption of like, oh my gosh, now everybody just say sing and release blessing. I didn't hear that because here's the thing. I was born with purpose and potential. I didn't get that from a man. I didn't get that when I got married. I didn't get that when I became a mom. I was born with it. God spoke it over my life when I was conceived. His dreams, his plans, his potential. I didn't need that stuff. Has my marriage been a blessing? Sure, but I had the purpose and potential in my life long before I met my wonderful husband. Listen, some of you in this room need to hear this word. You are waiting for a moment. You're waiting to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. You're waiting till you become a parent. You're waiting for your career to explode. You're waiting, waiting, waiting to accelerate. You were born to accelerate. You were born with purpose and potential on your life. That was put in you by the creator, by your maker. That's not gonna happen at some moment. Look, if you're in this room and you're single, I get it. The church has done a bad job of calling you out and saying we believe in you. We've been talking about that these last few weeks. Some of the most formative people in my Christian life are single people. Some of the people I've spoken the deepest truths into my life are single people. You don't need to be married to step into your authority. You don't need to be endorsed by walking down an aisle. You carry it, you have it, you have anointing and purpose and potential and we need it. And we need it. We need your voice. We need your energy. We need your anointing. We need your leadership. God is not waiting. Heaven is not waiting for this moment in your life the only thing they are waiting on is you. The only thing that heaven is waiting on is you to step into the truth of this word this morning, 
to say, you know what, that's right, I have purpose, and I have potential, and I have anointing, and I'm going to live my life with the intentionality that Jess so eloquently talked about last week. Purpose and potential right now, accelerate right now. Some of you just need this word right now, acceleration. It's time to run your race, not the race of the person next to you, not your roommate's race, not your spouse's race, your race. It's time to accelerate. Don't wait, don't put your, your life on hold. God is wanting to activate some people in the room today. Activate your purpose and potential I remember when I was a single woman in leadership and I would sometimes look at other women, married women, and I would think, one day when I get married, I'll have that authority. One day when I get married, people will listen to me. One day when I get married, I'll feel endorsed. I'll feel like I could step into my gifts. Lies from the pit of hell. (laughs) Lies, straight up lies. But it's just another way the snake wraps itself around our soul and tries to keep you quenched. Listen, there are so many uncreated things. There are so many businesses. There are so many books that have not been written. There are so many new inventions. There are so many things locked down underneath that lie that says, just wait till someone endorses you. Just wait till someone gives you permission. Just wait till they take you seriously when you get married. So much stuff that God has put inside of us. Let's just break that lie this morning. So you have purpose and potential. Young and single, older than single, divorced, widowed, wherever you find yourself, married, we all have purpose and potential. We're born with it. Number four, run focused. Says fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's so easy to get our eyes on the wrong thing, isn't it? It's so easy to just look at the setbacks and the disappointments. It's so easy to look at the history of what hasn't been and presume that that predicts the future. Look, it doesn't matter who wrote your history, God writes your future. God writes your future. Some of you are thinking back to things that you have not had, things that have not been said to you, experiences that you've not had, and then you're looking ahead at the word of the Lord and you're like, but it hasn't been that way. I bet Abraham and Sarah thought the exact same thing. Look how old I am, look how barren I am, we have no children. It seems impossible. Your history does not write your future. God does. It's so easy to get our eyes on that. It's so easy to look at the setbacks, look at the struggles. It's so easy to look at feeling like it's three steps backward, like we're just going this way. But this is how I want to encourage you to look at it. It's almost like a bow and an arrow. And God is just pulling us back this morning. And we can, pull, we can look at that pulling back. Oh, it's just so frustrating. I thought I got over this struggle. I thought that I wasn't going to experience this again. We can look at the pullback or we can look ahead of us and see where is God propelling me to? What is God going to shoot me into? That is the season. It's a season of forward movement. It's a season of being propelled. But some of us, we can only see the setbacks. We can only see the disappointment. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, set your eyes on Jesus. Here's like a really quick tip. Think more about Jesus than setbacks, okay? Think more about Jesus than disappointments. Think more about Jesus than your history. Set your mind on Jesus so you're so captivated by him. Man, I had this conversation with my five-year-old last week, and... um, I know, it's another Phoenix story. I have so many of them. He's just such a jam. And we're walking down the street. Out of nowhere, he goes, Mommy, I don't think I believe in the devil anymore. Inside my head, I was like, who has bewitched my child? (laughs) You know? And and so in about 0.5 seconds, I'm thinking, okay, when we get home, we're going to open Genesis. Then we're going to pull out the scripture. Then we're going to, mm, mm, mm. And there's one thing I've learned from my husband. Well, I, t- I haven't learned it, actually. I try to do it. It's to slow down. It's to slow down. And my husband is 
exceptionally good at asking questions. I'm exceptionally good at giving answers. <laughs> but I try to practice this. So in that moment, as I'm walking along, I'm holding his hand, I'm like, oh yeah, why is that? And this is what he said, and no lie, you cannot make up these gold nuggets. This is what he said to me. Mommy, I just think about Jesus so much. I just can't stop thinking about Jesus. I'm just, I'm so, I just think about him. It's like the devil isn't real anymore. And I was like, oh, to experience that, that kind of love for Jesus, to be so caught up in being so captivated, my attention so fixated on Jesus that it's like the devil's not even real anymore. It's like the problems of the world aren't even real anymore because Jesus is my focus. Jesus is my attention. Oh, to have that kind of love. And that's the invitation from Jesus this morning. Because you know what? He is captivated by us. It's crazy. We don't deserve it. And yet he looks at us and he's captivated by us. And he's thinking good thoughts towards us. We can't even count them, the Bible says. So many good and loving thoughts that his love for us is everlasting. His desire for us to run the race and not give up because we're weary. To feel like he's with us in this, that we are not alone, that we can keep going. Listen, I felt as I was preparing this word that there are some of you here that have been struggling with depression and you thought you were over it, and it started to creep back in, and you're like, oh, I'm just going backwards again. I feel like the, the enemy wants you to believe that. God wants to break that in your life this morning. There are some of you in this room, and your circumstances are telling a different story, and it's almost like to step into faith and believe what God has spoken for you almost feels like insanity. It's so different to what the world is telling you. The invitation this morning is to live that life of faith, to not live by sight, to not look around and say, is everyone agreeing with this? Does everyone get it? Am I endorsed? Do I have what I need? Has God spoken it to you? You have everything that you need. You have what you need. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out, and we're going to move into a response time. I feel like there's some of you here that you resonate with that word, that you put your, you put your life on hold. You're waiting to accelerate. You're waiting to walk down the aisle. You're waiting to have kids. You're waiting until your kids are in college. You're waiting until your career pops. You're waiting until you've got this much money in the bank. And the invitation this morning is to accelerate now. The weariness that some of us are feeling is the resistance to God's will for our lives. Some of us have got to lay down our idols this morning. The timeline. I, I, I wrote one of those lists when I was like 18. You know, this is who I'm going to marry. By the way, it was completely off. But um, <laughs> this is who I'm going to marry. And this is where I'll be at this age. And this is what I will have accomplished. And... And sometimes we just need to bring those lists and we just need to lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, this is so precious to me because it's all I have. You know, for some of us in this room, the list is all you have. It's like, I'm just, I'm just trying to do my thing. I got so much pressure on every side. And if I just keep my eyes on the list, if I just keep checking it off, if I keep hustling and pushing, that, that's what I have. And Jesus is going to ask you for your most precious things. Yeah. He's going to come for the things that you feel like, but this is all I have. But let me tell you that his goodness will chase you every day of your life. And one day you'll look back and be like, oh man, that thing was so precious to me, that was dirt compared to what God has given me. That's the truth. That's the hope that we have. In a moment, we're going to sing. Communion will be open. We're going to have a prayer team up here that would love to pray for you. You might need to come and just lay some things down. You might need someone to pray with you. Let's just pray. Jesus, I just thank you. The only thing that you are waiting on is our yes. 
the only thing that heaven is waiting on to release resources and opportunities and open doors and peace and healing. The only thing that you're waiting on is us this morning to say, Jesus, I want that more than I want my own thing. Lord, there are some of us here and we have deep pain and it's just like, God, I want to be free from this. I want my new fresh season. I got to leave some things behind. Show us, Holy Spirit, what those things are. And Lord, may we be like Phoenix, so caught up, so captivated that we can't see the setbacks and we can't see the downfalls and we can't see all the regrets. All we see is eyes on you, Jesus, eyes on you. And that when we see you, we see like the prodigal son's father seeing us, running to us, with all of your goodness. Lord, I believe there's a way we can run and not grow weary. There's a way that you can sustain us, but we cannot do it by ourselves. We need you, we need our people. So right now in this space, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Lord, you, you're wanting to just heal people. Depression today is really high on my, on my mind. There's some depression, there's some anxiety stuff. There's some anxiety stuff and it's connected to timeline and plan. And I believe that God is saying that when we surrender that stuff, there's gonna be a break in some of the anxiety that we've been feeling. There's some marriages in this room that God is really wanting to touch. I feel like God is saying that there's some marriages in this room and you've had a good run. But God is saying that the next season is gonna be more flourishing, more abundant, more bright, more anointed, but you're gonna have to take care of that thing, that niggling thing, that bitterness, the unforgiveness, whatever that thing is, go after it aggressively because the season ahead of you is like acceleration and power. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.